Hey everyone, and welcome to a podcast by Buffalo Occupational Therapy for student and OT practitioners looking to bridge the gap between what you were taught in school and real-world OT practice. We are all about using our full scope of practice and understand that OT is so much more than ADLs. We are a medical science, we are a social science, and we are the cutting-edge next generation of OT practitioners. Welcome to Rethink OT. Today's episode is on fine motor activities for adults in occupational therapy. Now before I begin, I believe it's important to note that I am in no way a certified hand therapist. I do not specialize in orthopedic rehabilitation and I don't plan to, so if you're looking for specific and in-depth information regarding rehabilitation for the hand, I would encourage you to start following those who have this specialty. I know for us personally, we follow many of them on social media and they offer so much depth of knowledge on this specific area that I will simply not be addressing today. Instead, this episode is for the generalist in adult occupational therapy practice. The truth is, not all areas of the United States or around the world have the luxury of divvying up the profession into specific certifications and telling a patient that they need to see so-and-so because it's their specialty. Every practitioner should know some knowledge to help them rehabilitate the entire body, including the hand. So that's who I'm speaking to today, and we're just going over some general fine motor activities for adults in occupational therapy. For better or for worse, many areas of practice within the medical model equate occupational therapy with the upper body. For this reason, occupational therapy practitioners really need to make sure that we are designing our treatments to incorporate our knowledge of anatomy, healing, and occupations. But how do we incorporate occupations? Well, we ask our client, the client who's struggling, we ask them what occupations are difficult to complete. We use activity analysis to break it into its structures, functions, and performance skills so that way we can clearly define what aspect of the occupation is being impacted. And then it's our job to determine why. See, this is where people get lost, and I don't understand it. There are two things that happen to the profession at this cross-section. Number one, The occupational therapy practitioner will go onto Pinterest or some other website and find a plethora of fine motor activities for pediatrics. Then they think it's appropriate to do these same activities with adults. They pull out activities like shaving cream, board games, playing makeup, or finger painting and do them with middle-aged patients or worse, they do them with those in advanced years. I don't know whether it's because they have, uh, most of them have a memory impairment or, or I, you know, I really just don't know why this is happening, but oftentimes it's undignified and ageist. So you want to make sure that there is always a purpose and a reason related to your specific patient and what's important to them when you choose an activity. If that's what's meaningful to your patient, then fantastic, wonderful. Nine times out of 10, it's not and we're doing it out of default. Then number two, 
So the first is choosing pediatric-inspired activities. The second is the occupational therapy practitioner becomes so caught up in making sure that the activity looks like an ADL or IADL that we forget that this is not always the way to restore or maximize function being impacted by that impairment or deficit. You must use activity analysis to rebuild the human function required to perform the activity or task. And you must use all domains of occupational therapy because it's not either or, it's transactional. That's the very foundational knowledge of the profession. So what does this mean? Well, in order for you to understand what this means, I first need to address what it does not mean. If someone comes to you and has a range of fine motor deficits, including range of motion and strength deficits caused by some, let's say, exacerbation of an arthritic diagnosis, there is no possible way that you can restore that function caused by a particular exacerbation from an arthritic-based diagnosis by having a patient cap and uncap toothpaste, turn the faucet on and off, use a Windex bottle and have them wash their hospital room windows. You have to do more than this. Please stop defaulting to these types of activities. These occupation-specific activities do not equate to occupational therapy. So if that's what you should not be doing, then what should you do? The first thing you'll do is refresh your foundational knowledge of your patient's diagnosis. This is why we learn pathology. You want to make sure that you know the etiology, prognosis, mechanism of injury, and mechanism of healing for whatever diagnosis you're working with. This is completely relevant. Once you refresh your foundational knowledge of your patient's diagnosis, you then want to understand what they're doing in their daily lifestyle that's exacerbating their condition. And this is what you're going to obtain or acquire during your occupational interview. This is the subjective portion of your evaluation. Once you know the exacerbating factors, you can then proceed to educate your patient. You say, well, how am I supposed to know what's exacerbating your condition? You know the exacerbating factors because you know the condition. You know the condition, you know the prognosis, you know the mechanism of injury and healing, and you've done activity analysis on all of the referenced activities. At this point, you can provide your patient education before engaging in a restorative plan of care to decrease symptoms that are manifesting from the exacerbation. Once you decrease these symptoms, pain, inflammation, at that point, you can begin incorporating appropriate therapeutic exercise like stretching or active range of motion, which will maximize the person's hand mobility. We do this all by maintaining an occupation-based vantage point or lens. We want to make sure that we're defining the occupation that has performance deficits from there performing activity analysis, creating a continuum of care, addressing all of the mechanisms of injury and the initial healing phases of any type of trauma, soft tissue trauma, 
And then you want to make sure that you're using your knowledge from activity analysis to improve upon the performance deficit so that ultimately when you do an occupation-specific task, they're, they're able to accomplish this without exacerbation um, or able to accomplish it differently so that it prevents future exacerbations. So know that there is a time and place for occupation-specific training, but it is not all of the time. So if you default to Pinterest for these activities and then proceed to do them because of what they look like or appear, they appear to be occupations, you may actually perpetuate dysfunction. Before you jump into your arsenal of occupations, make sure that you do the work of a medical professional. You could hurt your patient and decrease respect for the occupational therapy profession and process if you do not do it the right way. Remember, you are not an activity leader or a companion care aide. You are an analyst with a medical license. Before we move on to fine motor assessments, I do want to touch on task-oriented training, motor learning strategies, and remaining within the OT scope of practice. I'm not going to go into what those all are and mean. That will be for future episodes or in the bridge. We do a lot of training on that. But I do want to note that since this is such a hot button item or conversation, this occupation-based versus occupation-specific It is important to acknowledge that occupation-specific or occupation-proximal treatments are warranted and necessary. They are warranted and necessary to master as an occupational therapy practitioner. There is much supportive literature and research that discusses the value of task-oriented training with patients that require motor learning or, or remediation of neuromuscular behavior. Using a task that's close to or exactly the same as the components of movement, strength, power, coordination, and executive function required for the defined occupation yields much faster and more long-lasting results than tasks that are reduced to one part of that activity. So yes, it is very indicated, very supported. Even still, this can't always be achieved if the person lacks the ability to safely and effectively perform a multifaceted task. And that's the point. It's learning how to use occupation-specific training in the right place at the right time. As an occupational therapy practitioner, we need to know when to put it together and when to take the activity apart for the achievability and, you know, safety in patient performance. So that's that's what I mean by understanding when, where, and how. Hey guys, I just want to interrupt real quick. I want to take a minute to remind you to head to our website for OT treatment ideas, any PDFs we reference in this podcast, and a ton of OT science rationale for your documentation. Be the therapist your clients ask for instead of just the therapist they feel they can do without. Head to the Bot Portal and OT Store at www.buffalooccupationaltherapy.com. And don't forget to find us on social media in our Facebook group at Outpatient OT or on Insta at OT underscore Outpatient. Now back to the show. Let's talk about the fine motor assessments. Always make sure you have fine motor goals if you are going to be working on fine motor skills within your treatments. In order to ensure that fine motor goals are appropriate, 
you need to use objective-based assessments. They don't all need to be standardized, but you absolutely should have a quantifiable or qualifiable number to measure success or non-success of your treatments. Remember that you are a medical professional, not an activity leader. You must do activities from goals that are measurable, okay? Always, always, always make sure that you remember why you're doing something and the reason why you have an autonomous professional license. For those of you who are bot portal members, make sure that you go to the very large list of occupational therapy assessments. I believe we're over a hundred, uh, over a hundred assessments now. So make sure that you're using the bot portal to access your PDFs, um, all of the information that we have gathered over the years for Buffalo Occupational Therapy. For those of you who are not Bot Portal members, if you're looking up different fine motor uh, assessments, I find that the Quick Dash, the Nine Hole Peg Test, Dynamometer, Pinch Gauge, and then a few anecdotal based uh, assessments. I use the Bayoding Balls for evaluation of two minute the time constraint for endurance, and then also a 50 bead in hand manipulation bead sort assessment. So I also do that. Um, Those are always my go-to. Okay, so now for the fine motor activities for adults. All of this talk about how or why or what, right? What kind of activities you shouldn't do. So now what are some more age-appropriate activities that you could do with adults in a general setting? Well, let's first start with the equipment that you could use. We have TheraBand, clothespins, beads, bayoding balls, pegs, um, shoelaces, coins, binder clips, paper clips, right? The list continues. I remember when I started my private practice and I was looking at all of this equipment that was was in facilities that I had worked in. I'm like, I don't have that kind of money, but what can I do? Using activity analysis, how can I break this task down? What objects can I do that are very affordable for myself and my clients that will yield the same results? And those items are some of the items that I just kept in my car for my patients. I'd give them each a little kit, and that's what we'd work with, especially when doing fine motor over teletherapy when COVID, COVID-19 required that. So keep in mind that it doesn't take a lot to yield great outcomes if you know what you're doing. Now, as a clinician, I have access to things like a paraffin bath, a hydroculator for moist heat, a vibration tool for that preparatory method. So that's how I broke up this blog. If you haven't yet been to the blog article for fine motor activities for adults in occupational therapy, I want to take a moment to let you know that that does exist and you should head over there because there's about 12 videos of fine motor activities that you can use with your patients. So definitely do that. I'll try to link out uh, I'll try to link out to that blog, blog article from the description of this podcast. So keep in mind that there are other resources that are accessible to you um, as, a, as an example of these activities. Some of my favorite activities involve the metronome for fine motor activities. 
remember that when we're working with individuals, especially in neurological rehabilitation, it's our job to to amplify neuroplasticity. And many times, a lot of these conditions are impacting the body's ability to coordinate movement. While we can leverage other other parts of the brain to to create motor plans and metronome work or external auditory cues are fantastic to partner with executive function and motor-based activity because it helps to create that that innate movement quicker. So keep that in mind. Metronome training is huge. It's a huge uh, tool to leverage. So that is my first favorite fine motor activity is really anything with the use of a metronome. Number two is the power web. So a lot of clinics have this. It's about $50 on Amazon Prime. If you're a home-based therapist, I would highly recommend having this for your repertoire because it's easily cleanable and it's fantastic because it has multiple types of resistance. And you you can provide a good continuum into functional grip and grasp. So individuals who can't open jars or lids or caps, which is a huge deficit in our adult population, you don't need to have your kit of jars and and medicine bottles. You don't need any of that to increase the grip pattern or the grasp pattern required to open those jars, caps, and lids. You can actually just have the lid. So you have just a little container, a little baggie of all different types of lids, and then have them lace their fingers through the power web and uh, proceed to to encourage strength, increased strengthening in those intrinsic muscles and extrinsic muscles of the of the hand. So keep that in mind. That's my second favorite tool is the power web. So first we have the metronome, second we have the power web, and finally beads, just simple pony beads in a jar with some envelopes. You can do so many things with beads. You can touch on not only fine motor, but also dual tasking. So if you're doing cognitive remedial therapy, um, maybe you have an individual who, like someone with Parkinson's, who does have a fine motor goal, but they also have a cognitive remedial goal. You can combine that by doing sorting activities, having them follow auditory commands with time constraints, being able to, uh, you know, stabilize the envelope while putting each each pony bead into a hole in the envelope to a metronome. There's so many things that you can do with pony beads. I would recommend them in every single clinic across the country and in every car who do home therapy. I think it's just fantastic. Um, Four would be TheraBand. TheraBand does not just have to be for gross upper body, like upper extremity strengthening. You can also strengthen digits, uh, hands. You can use TheraBand so creatively with so many patients. There have been times where we're trying to simulate a functional movement pattern. Uh, Our patient really wanted to be able to pour a glass of water from her Brita filter again. And we're not going to buy a Brita filter for our outpatient clinic, right? But we do have an eight pound weight with a resistance band and 
we can improve grip strength, we can improve improve the strength of her functional movement patterns required to perform that particular activity. There's so much you can do with therapeutic act or there's so much you can do with TheraBand outside of of just upper body exercises. So keep that in mind um, when we're breaking down these different aspects of occupations and the tools that you plan on using. Again, please check out that blog article. It will go into way more depth on the activities that I've discussed and more. Um, It's just easier to put that in a video than than just audio via this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something new today and we will see you next time.